This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. Coming out of 2022, there was a sense that we had a slight upward trajectory in operating margin, albeit overall negative nationally, it was trending in the right direction. And the hope is that 2023, we will get to a place that the margins become and maintain a positive level. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin. We've recently looked back at some key themes from 2022 and how different health systems, different industry players have reacted. In this episode, we're going to look forward and we're going to focus on 2023 in particular. Each year, we kick off our annual series of webinars with the year ahead. Bill Woodson and Jennifer O'Connor are really familiar voices leading that discussion. And this year, Brianna Motley and Brian Esther, the other two leaders of our enterprise practices on the intelligence team, are joining them. SG2 members can go back and watch the recorded webinar on SG2.com, but I wanted to walk through a few of the key themes here as well. Bill and Jennifer, why are we talking about 2023 as the balancing act? Trevor, thanks. In some ways, it probably is a very straightforward thing to say to the leaders of a health system right now. I'd frame it in three different ways. The first is just the classic cost focus versus revenue focus. We just had our AMC Academic Medical Center CEO meeting last week, and the attendees were really universally more focused on the cost side of the equation and the care redesign of the equation than we've ever heard them before. The revenue ambition is still out there, and our members are wrestling with what's the right way to balance the two sides of that equation. The second way is how our friends at Kaufman Hall talk about it. That is, you run an operating company, you have some sort of financing or investment arm, and then you have capital, and it's balancing those three with the right appetite for risk. And where might you be over-risked or under-risked? It's not the way we talk about risk in terms of contracting, but it's because of what we think happened last year economically with the financial performance, not only on the operations side, but investment returns. And yet, there's still ambitious plans on capital and new ambulatory facilities. Balancing those three in the right time frame is going to be very challenging. Their third one is just for leaders and for teams. How do you spend your time in 2023, given these competing priorities that you have? What do you lean into to make sure your efforts have an impact? And as certain members have told us, we are going to dig in in new ways to operations and care delivery. We might have to sacrifice some of our attention span on the growth side, but it's in our plans. We recognize it's there. We're in a really tough fight for market share and for transitioning our business to new ambulatory models. So it's going to be a very active year. Trevor, I just add in there, it's a nod to the reality of the situation that we hear from our members when we talk to them. We've talked about this balance of short-term versus long-term for a while now. The pandemic brought that and it's just a different pressure this year. It's more financial in nature given where we ended the year on the margin front. But we hear every day talking with members that they have to get up and find ways to acknowledge the reality of the financial situation they find themselves in today and work to grow out of that. And at the same time, they're very mission-driven organizations with long-term goals for their organizations and for the communities they serve. And those are tricky things to deal with all at once. It's complex, and that's the reality of the world that they live in today. So we acknowledge that. Brian, let's start with the baseline. We've heard some of the big economic trends from partners at Kaufman Hall and other episodes. Can you kind of summarize our expectations for hospital margins, at least in the short term? 
Yeah, Trevor, coming out of 2022, there was a sense that we had a slight upward trajectory in operating margin, albeit overall negative nationally, it was trending in the right direction. And the hope is that 2023, we will get to a place that margins become and maintain a positive level. The problem will be that two of the big levers that were relied on during the pandemic, the ability to access capital through the markets and the investment portfolio itself will continue to be under pressure. Interest rates are likely to remain elevated by the Federal Reserve. Access to capital is going to be contingent on health systems maintaining their credit rating on a go-forward basis. And to do that, we really need management teams to be really focused on operations. Overall expense management is going to be key, but this renewed focus on revenue quality, and that's a holistic view of revenue, not just fee-for-service, but where does value play into that? And how do you really democratize who is impacting the negotiations on a go-forward basis? And how do we bring all the data the organization has to bear from managed care and finance to the strategy teams, the clinical leaders to put our best foot forward to the payers on a rate negotiation timeframe, but also to the market. How do we attract new consumers in a meaningful way and leverage our strengths to build our brand awareness, limit the leakage, and really drive the organization forward? Moving this operating margin forward in a positive manner will be critical, and we expect those that have done a good job defending their balance sheets and reinvesting in their management and overall culture will be best positioned this year. At the risk of being Debbie Downer, the big pressure that we saw on the margin last year was a lot to do with labor costs. They were through the roof. We're sitting at use of contract labor. That's roughly 20% what we knew pre-pandemic. We have turnover rates inching up toward 20%, and we have over 200,000 registered nurse open positions. The cost to simply staff our organizations right now is completely out of whack with what we've known historically and particularly given the uneven volumes that we continue to experience it makes it tough. And that's a big part of that margin pressure. Hopefully the economy manages to stabilize and our investment portfolios get back to buoying us up because we don't see a ton of relief on the labor front. That's the thing that we continue to watch. Hospitals have done good work trying to bring back contract labor to full-time positions. They've gotten creative. They've gotten flexible. It's a good start. There's more to do, but we still have a long way to go and elevated labor costs across multiple roles. And I think that will continue to be a challenge across across 2023. Brianna, if cost is really high, why are we urging health systems to not focus too heavily and to avoid the temptation of trying to just combat that with cost containment? That's a really important question. One of the risks that we run when we focus exclusively on cost and don't look at things from a holistic perspective is shortchanging some of those mission-driven, those longer-term goals. We know the previous two or three years, there's been a lot of focus in the industry around equity and around environmental sustainability. If we only look at the cost side of things and try and assess where we can cut, we run the risk of inadvertently shortchanging ourselves in some of those longer term goals. What do we see as some of the solutions out there? What do we see organizations doing? Number one, it's making sure that you're assessing those supplier contracting decisions from a holistic manner. It's not just about costs. It's about some of the other things that those organizations bring to the table. You can do this through reevaluating your RFPs, making sure that you're looking for industry partners who are aligned around sustainability or thinking about community contracting programs. Our partners at Vizient do offer this. That's what helps to make sure that you're looking at all suppliers equally not overlooking those in your local community that might help you meet some of your equity goals as well. I'm definitely still hearing from health systems and particularly from strategy leaders that they're trying to stay focused on growth and that unlike maybe a couple of years ago, their systems are giving them the runway to do that. Bill, is that what you're hearing too? 
I think so. And we're particularly attuned to that because of the work we do here at SG2 on the growth side. But it's not optional. The health systems we work with are balancing capacity and workforce against what growth they would like to achieve, meaning can they staff the growth that they'd like to have that may be available in the marketplace on the inpatient side, electric procedure side, and the outpatient side. There is pent-up demand in most markets that systems are learning how to tap into with deeper consumer insights and a renewed focus on the service line organization. How does it fit? How do we structure it? What's the balance of work that they do on quality, cost, and growth? All those are in play. And there's already a decent pipeline at most of our large member systems of projects they're going to do on the ambulatory side. It's now the pacing of how they do that. And can they be more innovative about hybrid care delivery models, meaning in person or virtual? They have different levers to play with, but it doesn't seem to be diminishing at all. We look at the data on an ongoing basis from our friends at Strata, and certain volumes have returned and even moved above 2019 levels, and that's ambulatory procedures, ambulatory visits, and certain areas have dropped, and this is not universal, but that's emergency department visits where consumers are going elsewhere. And yet we know in the core campus operations, you're full, acuity's up, length of stay is up, you're having trouble discharging people and just dealing with the shift to different sites of care is an enormous strategic challenge. The growth is out there. It's in all of our members' plans. It's a matter of emphasis and back to the prioritization and balancing that everyone has to sort out this year. Jennifer, as systems think about that, growth sometimes just means new sites, new buildings, new acquisitions. Why are we pushing them to think beyond simply expanding access as sufficient growth? To be clear, access is still key. Many of the disruptors out there are winning on access. That still needs to be taken care of. But this year in particular, given our acknowledgement that we are probably looking for some short-term growth, near-term growth, things that bear fruit in the next year or two, given where we are financially, if you have that mindset and you look at Bill's comments, outpatient surgical volumes have shown pretty strong recovery. How do we start to go after those? There's an interesting wrinkle, particularly this year, given finances. Inflation remains high. That has a trickle-down effect on consumers. When inflation is high, frankly, healthcare is not a winning service. They're going to do other expenses first. It puts pressure on us as healthcare providers to go out and attract patients and for the services that rightfully they need. In certain markets, we know there's high deductible plan growth. That's additional financial pressure. When we talk about access, if you say, let's just make sure that we're available in a world of price pressure where we want short-term returns, that may not be a winning formula. We've been having conversations with folks that this year in particular, this idea of a more segmented, a more targeted approach to growth is going to be really important. Yes, we need to open up access. We also need to acknowledge that people might have financial concerns. Can we help them? Do they understand our payment policies? Can we point them to ambulatory surgery sites where they might get this scope or procedure at a lower cost? Are we communicating that to our patients and helping them overcome some of these objections, which are just going to be a reality this year. That's what's going to have to happen to enable growth. That's why we've been saying you got to get beyond access. Not that access isn't important. It's just not enough in its own right this year. Brian, how does payer negotiation fit in with all this? 
I would raise it up one level higher to disenrollment across our insurance products. And 2023 might be a more dynamic year in enrollment and shifts in enrollment than we've seen historically, particularly with the end of the public health emergency that's forecasted is going to impact the Medicaid ranks. We have anywhere between 18 and 20 million members sitting on Medicaid that in theory will be reclassified this year. Those folks could shift towards commercial, but they could also shift towards the exchanges or uninsured status, putting pressure on our bad debt. Thinking about that as we also monitor the surge of Medicare Advantage within the Medicare ranks as opposed to fee-for-service and the surge in high deductible within our commercial class and what that does to the employees and the consumer and their cost exposure to healthcare will be important this year moving forward. But as we bring it to the pair negotiations, we'd put it two ways. One is bringing your best self to the fee-for-service negotiations as an organization, recognizing all the data you have in managed care is critical, but having strategy teams lean in on a forecast, service line basis, very granular and where is our growth going to occur and really focusing our rates, putting our bets right on those areas and understanding that there are shifts that are going to occur or downshifts and in volume that are expected that we maybe we shouldn't chase as hard as we're used to. Really being targeted and fee-for-service rate negotiations while also keeping a long-term view on this pivot towards value-based care and risk assumption. And it can't be a one or two-year effort or pilot program. Where do you want the organization to be from a value-based care or contracting perspective in 10 years? And who do you need to be at the table with you, whether it be partners on the insurance side, disruptor side, who is there and is willing to commit to help you move as an organization towards that? And how do you funnel these contracts into a meaningful discussion with payers so that you have the right metrics and incentive structure on a go forward basis? But that'll be a holistic viewpoint of the data the organization can bring into positioning both strategically and culturally that we need to start to pivot over the next five to 10 years. Brianna, at the same time that all these dynamics are taking place, hospitals are facing a capacity crunch. Everyone else has only been asked to balance maybe two things. I'm going to ask you to balance three. Try to connect the dots here. How can health systems both focus on growth, redesign their workforce, and address this capacity crunch? There are three main areas of care redesign that systems are going to have to evaluate in concert as they try to manage the staffing challenges, the capacity crunch, and also the need for growth. The first place to look is in your inpatient setting. We know that systems are full, whether that is because of staffing challenges or just because of physical space constraints. There's a lot of pressure there, and that's not going to go away, especially with rising acuity, rising length of stay. From a care redesign standpoint, we've got to really think about service distribution. How do you maximize the footprint that you have available? Be really thoughtful about what cases you're doing where to try and preserve some of that precious inpatient capacity to accommodate strategic growth in the future. Bill and Jennifer mentioned outpatient shift, and this is another place to look. We do see a lot of activity in that ambulatory setting. We know that you have to think about it both in terms of the outpatient space and capacity you have available and also what you're going to make available in the future. So it's not just shifting some of those cases proactively to the outpatient setting, not waiting for payers or physicians in your local market to force you in that direction, but really taking advantage of where you have opportunity to move to allow room for growth. And then also thinking about the shuffle. We classify the ambulatory shuffle as the movement between hospital outpatient, ASC, and physician office. And that's really important because we know that not all of those settings have capacity, have access available today. Being really selective about what you do where is an important part of the equation. And then finally, as we think about care redesign, bigger picture, how we can leverage technology and digital capabilities, the shift of care into the home is that third area to look at. And this really spans the spectrum. 
As we look at the system of care as a whole, there are opportunities across every side of care to shift care into the home. It's not just about hospital at home. Think primary care at home, skilled nursing at home. We know there are capacity and access challenges in the post-acute side as well, which is driving up inpatient length of stay. Really being creative about how we can redesign care where possible, move care into the home to support patient management, patient recovery, reduce some of that avoidable admissions and readmissions from an outcome standpoint is also a really important part of that equation. Big question, but good answer. Thanks. Bill and Jennifer, how are leading health systems managing this balancing act? What do you think is going to differentiate those that are most successful in 2023? It's a tough one, and it may be things that are more difficult to talk about and meaning describe. And this is a year where the how matters more than the what. There are plenty of our members who've recently updated a strategic plan, and maybe it's a 2030 vision approach. They're on target, they're relatively similar, and they're challenging themselves to think about how are we going to pull this off and what's our timing and prioritization for it. We start there, and then it's leaning into some really tricky areas that are thorny for most health systems, which is the structure. Are we organized effectively to do these things? For example, with the ambulatory shift, are we set up well to handle that? And also with our length of stay and our capacity management. And then finally, it's the culture. There's a lot of cultural work going on right now, and it goes beyond diversity, equity, and inclusion, which are very much in the loop. It's how we think as an organization, what our approach to that comfortable word system this is, how do we put the pieces together more simply? And perhaps as we're eyeing a leaner administrative structure, and we know that's what's going on right now because of the cost pressures. I've been hearing a little bit more about some of the things people are trying to do day in, day out. I get this sense that there's a real, let's get focused and get it done. And I'm hearing a couple of things that will help folks maintain that balance this year. And the first, I had a couple conversations where folks are reviewing and vetting metrics to go to the board. And at first, I thought that was just because we have a bunch of new CEOs, which we do. But as we went through the prep for this webinar and this idea of these balancing acts, maybe I'm just congratulating ourselves for a good theme. I do feel like some of that review of metrics is purposeful in saying we acknowledge this balancing act and it is going to be tricky. So let's be thoughtful about the metrics we review as an executive team that we push up to the board to help us maintain that balance. I'm also hearing, particularly from our strategy teams, renewed conversation about stage gates. And that's something taken from innovation or agile literature. If you've read both of those, but we've always applied it to strategy here at SG2. And that idea that if we need short-term results, we also need to be able to acknowledge some things will work and some things won't. And what is the stage gate? What is the proof that a growth strategy we put out there is working or not? And if it's not, that's okay, but let's pivot to something else. And if that's a new concept for you, be sure and sign up for the planning course. It starts again this spring and we talk about things like stage gates. And then finally, I'm hearing a little bit about listening and listening to the front lines. And we closed the webinar talking about this idea of executive rounding. When I was with some clinical leaders recently, they bemoaned that executive rounding stopped during COVID for many as a safety precaution, totally understandably, but many haven't picked it back up again. And in a year where workforce will continue to be such a huge influence on our goals and our ability to be successful, to not have a mechanism to get out and listen to what's happening on the front lines just seems like we're not giving ourselves every opportunity for success there. We'll see a little bit more about that visible leadership to help us keep that balance. That's great. There's certainly going to be a lot to balance in 2023. Thanks for giving us your perspective on the year ahead. Thanks as always for sharing your perspectives with our listeners and look forward to having you back on again soon. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks, Trevor.
Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.